0: Welcome to ReInvent 2018. You're here for the M&E leadership session, state of the industry, what's new for, from AWS for media and entertainment, and the executive perspective. Wow, what a week it's been up till now. From the deep racer to uh, satellite ground stations uh, to actually on-premises AWS outpost, a lot of announcements, right? But let's talk about what is relevant for media and entertainment. What is specific to media and entertainment from the announcements that were done so far. So I'll start with the uh, subject matter specifically on the uh, video side. So um, from the start, when AWS Elemental became a part of the AWS family, there were a lot of uh, different video services that were announced. Just last year, we had five video services that were launched from AWS Media Live, AWS Media Connect, AWS uh, Elemental Media Store, AWS Elemental uh, Media Tailor, and AWS Elemental Media Package. Basically, building blocks for the video end-to-end pipeline. So in this particular case, we actually launched AWS Elemental Media Connect that gives you the capability to do robust live video transport. So specifically RTP and forward error correction as a fully managed or a native support for Zixi protocol as a fully managed service for first or last mile uh, delivery of the video video feeds. It also supports mezzanine quality video up to 80 megabits per second and multiple different uh, protocol support. We have a lot of customers very excited about this new service from use cases specifically as in the case of PAC-12, from from contribution, uh, for example, from connecting uh, stadiums to the cloud, as well as in the case of ITV, as you see, from distribution to actually the entitlements feature. Now the entitlements feature is actually pretty neat where you could actually transfer or distribute the content to your affiliates without having to go uh, in terms of additional number of formats. But more importantly, if they are on AWS, you can actually use the capability where the entitled uh, or the receiver of the content actually pays for the transport of that content. So very cool, very excited about this. On the storage side, we are constantly innovating in this whole concept of content lakes, where you don't have to move content back and forth Rather, we give you the capability and feature set that is really relevant to the use cases that you want to move over to the AWS cloud. So specifically, we heard from a lot of our customers in the case of golden copy or cold archives, right? Customers that have tape on-premises. How can we meet the uh, cost uh, from a tape perspective and move it over to the cloud? So as you know, we had the Amazon Glacier, this is actually a new tier within Amazon Glacier that offers our customers a really cheap way to store their content or replace tape. At, a one, at less than one-tenth of one cent uh, per gig per month or at, a, at around a dollar per terabyte per month. That's great. And retrieval time could be 12 hours or less, whereas in the case, you know, uh, if it is tape, you might notice that the retrieval time is much longer. There's also bulk retrieve options that allows you to retrieve as much as a petabyte within 48 hours. S3 had multiple tiers from S3 standard to S3 infrequent access, S3 infrequent access one zone. The idea being we want to give our customers the choice to use the best of the breed solution for the underlying use case that they want to use, right? Well, why do you have to worry about you know, which specific tier you want to have your content in. Wouldn't it be nice if S3 itself figured that out for you, whether it's a highly distributed content or it's a mezzanine quality asset or whatever it is? So that's where the Amazon simple storage service intelligent tiering will be very, very useful, where you don't have to really look into or try to create lifecycle policies, et cetera. Rather, the S3 intelligent tiering based on your access patterns and machine learning figures out what is the best, most cost-effective way to store your content. And it automatically moves this content around. S3 batch operations and the uh, API integration between S3 and Glacier is also a big one. Our customers, specifically in the uh, asset management and archive space, have been asking for this for a long time, where they wanted to have API integration, not have to worry about, hey, I uploaded my content through S3 API. How can I retrieve it through S3 API? Is there a parity between, say, notifications when the content arrives, et cetera? So really making these supply chains much more efficient. And from on, on file-based specific workflows or batch operations, we have... Um, uh, you know, the S3 batch operations that could be enabled in the case of multiple files. We're constantly innovating to make it uh, much more interesting for our customers to be able to use AWS storage across all the facets of the media pipeline, from content production to archival storage, asset management, as well as distribution. So we launched two new high-performance shared file systems, Amazon FSX for Windows File Server, and Amazon FSX for Lustre. Very high-performance at a a very cost-effective price for our customers to be able to leverage it for very high-performance bad jobs, such as rendering or transcoding or other uh, supply chain type of functions. AWS Snowball Edge is now available with compute and GPU. So that right there enables a lot more functionality right uh, where the content is being created. We had our customers ask us for this capability where you know, in the case of, say, remote editing, why do they have to invest in high, um, uh, high-performance or uh, uh, pretty beefy machines for their graphic or video editors? Now, if the GPU is on board a Snowball Edge device, they can use it not just to ingest the content, rather do some quick edits or some quick um, ingest or, or, or contribution or ingestion type of uh, tasks. We also launched a couple of new services for um, ingesting content uh, or content movement. Data Sync is one of the uh, key services there that will allow our customers to now move content between on-premises to the cloud, and even within the cloud, multiple different Uh, tiers for storage. So say, for example, from an object store to a shared file system, back and forth. So that right there helps with, you know, the whole idea of content lakes and being able to create these highly flexible and lean supply chains. We also launched the AWS Transfer for SFTP service for customers to be able to upload uh, uh, files via the SFTP protocol. On the compute side, the 100 gigabits per second networking announcement is gonna be great for uh, high-performance workloads, again, for things like uh, rendering or uh, high-performance streaming, um, if you will. Auto-scaling, you don't have to worry about how to scale your fleet of streaming servers or renders, et cetera. Rather, it's now based on predictive scaling, based on how much you've been consuming, and it's all powered by machine learning. AWS Outposts, latency, lower latency where it matters the most, right? So AWS Outposts is an on... It allows you to have the AWS infrastructure to run on-premises with the same APIs that you use through the console. You can also run another variant, which is a VMware cloud on AWS Outposts. So right there, we, see, we hear a lot from our customers in terms of the requirements with respect to lower latency whether that is graphics video applications for video editing, uh, graphic artist um, on or near set or venue type of infrastructure that is needed, uh, additional capacity for hybrid render uh, on demand, supply chain, transcode functions, and more importantly, live video type of scenarios where latency matters the most. And then finally, uh, just a couple of minutes on artificial intelligence. Um, so, or machine learning type of services that we launched. So the first one, which is my favorite, is the, I like to call it the artificial assisted intelligence, because this is where the human element is kind of automated within your machine learning models. So Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth, Truth is a service that enables you to use the, uh, or integrate human labelers or the workforce like Mechturk or some of the partner solutions into your SageMaker models. Now, that right there enables you to label your uh, uh, your training data sets easily and accurately, right? So we had a, a, a lot of different use cases for that. Uh, specifically, recently, um, we had Sky News um, do the Royal Wedding, right, where they had a set of label, labelers sitting and manually um, looking at the accuracy results of the, the, the trained models, right? So this could be, integrated much better, much nicely for our customers now. AWS marketplace for machine learning. So this is basically where you have, you wanna use the best of the breed training uh, uh, solutions or models for machine learning. You have a marketplace for that now, right? So you could look at the different image manipulation or image recognition or you know a speech recognition type of algorithms that are gonna be available in the marketplace that you can use for your uh, for your applications. And then lastly, really emphasizing on better customer experience. So using Amazon Personalize to be able to very, very quickly build recommendations engines, right? Using your data set from your consumer base that is really applicable for uh, your customer base. So with that, it is my honor to invite on the stage um, the uh, vice president of sales, AWS Americas, Carla Stratfold. Carla? Executive vice President Thank you. Can I have a seat. Thank you. Thanks.: Executive Vice President of CBS Operations and Engineering, Glenn Oakley.. Glenn. And Vice President of Technology and Strategy at Discovery Inc, Josh Derby. Pass it over to Carla to talk about the state of the union for media.
1: Thanks, Carla. So thank you all for being here. I know that, um, well, you and 52,000 of your closest friends. Uh, I know that you have a lot of things you could be doing other than this, and um, we're grateful that you voted with your time to come and listen to what's happening in this industry, which is under tremendous change. Um, I love these products that were announced today. I think a lot of them uh, hit the sweet spot for the kinds of transformation that is going on in sort of the broadly defined media and entertainment space. Before I start though, um, it's an opportunity to get some feedback from you. And we always want to hear what works and what doesn't work from our customers. So just by show of hands, how many people think the logistics were better this year? Okay. All right, and how many people think that the layout of the actual sessions themselves were better? Okay, how many people like the food? All right, okay, I ended with that one because I thought it was actually pretty good myself. So um, I talked about an industry that's under change and you you all live it every day and there isn't a lot of insight I'm going to give you. Our job is to bring you tools that help you deal with that change. But the three big changes are Um, that we wanna talk about today with our panel is that the line of creator of content and distributor of content and the audience, the consumer of content is really blurring. It's changing dramatically. You see the user interface is changing. You see mergers and acquisitions. um, For example, you know, major league Baseball advanced media by disney and and what 's also changing, and it 's interesting that even you know one of the kings of content, I think Mr. Iger said that it 's no longer content that is king, it is a, the consumer that 's king and you know we 've all been trying to get to this for lots and lots of years, and an IP network sort of made that possible. We can have you know fifty million channels um, and personalized channels if we if we want, so the industry's changing the blur between content creator, distributor, and audience, the, um, that really means that it's all about how you get to that audience. What is REACH? And what we want to do is we want to help you in that transformation. And we think we've got the best, most innovative platform. We listen to the problems that you have. For example, just being able to label for audio and video and text. Uh, we hope there's a lot of opportunity there to, re- to reduce not just the cost, but the time frame for the set of information that you're dealing with that allows you to bring a better consumer experience to your audience. So, Uh, To talk a little bit about the transformation, I'm first going to turn it over to Glenn and have him describe what his organization is doing to work through their transformation. Thank you.
2: Yeah, so I'll run through Carla's slides for her now. Hi, I'm Glenn Oakley, uh, Executive Vice President of uh, Operations and Engineering at CBS. Welcome to reInvent 2018. Um, At CBS, we are a global, multi-platform, premium content company. We distribute and create content uh, around the world uh, and distribute it around the world. Uh, Let me see if I can do this. The company has businesses that date back to the dawn of the broadcasting age, as well as new ventures that operate on the leading edge of media today. CBS has been the number one television network for 14 out of the last 15 years. CBS All Access and Showtime Anytime have been key drivers of the company's success recently as the industry shifts to more personalized uh, multi-platform formats. We have one of the world's largest entertainment libraries, which allows us to span virtually every field of media and entertainment. At CBS Today, we're laying the foundation for increased growth and efficiency. We have begun the process of automating our workflows, unifying platforms, and developing as needed uh, media processing. As we look around, We live in a world of shifting everything, it seems. Worlds of technology, organizational structure, uh, and cultural norms changing on what seems like a daily basis. The drivers of change are everywhere for us, and the reason for altering our operations uh, and for our migration to the cloud is rooted in these changes. Increasing consumer demands. Consumers aren't watching less or watching more, but they're watching in different places. Vastly greater competition, as, as you can see every every day that you're here. Automation is making things possible that didn't even exist a few uh, a few days and weeks ago. Um, and by eliminating duplication and rolling out automation, we're building the company for the future. We're at the start of our migration to the cloud, of migrating our media workflows, and laying the foundation for growth. Today, we have an on-prem structure, infrastructure that works very well, but it too needs to grow. We're starting our migration with the launch of CBS Gateway Portal for remote ingest, moving to asset orchestration and metadata management, and ultimately distribution onto multiple platforms. As we move forward, we need our capability to grow easily with greater speed and flexibility to match consumer preferences, and uh, as we're, uh, to match consumer preferences. We're driving to deliver our premium content to more destinations faster. Automating will allow us to accelerate at a massive pace. Migration from physical infrastructure poses unique problems. If you look at most, perhaps even all media outlets, this is a common, is a common uh, business um, stack. We have the overall on-prem facilities There are systems that run on the facilities. And uh, we have teams who use the systems to run the business. Uh, In the early stages of the business, everyone seems to understand what's going on and uh, runs it very smoothly. As business grows, it needs to stay competitive. So it invests in new services. Typically, when a project gets greenlit, one team uh, is, uh, is allowed to figure it out. When the business becomes uh, successful, it logically remains. But the overall business is often not rationalized to include the new services. This can happen for a variety of reasons. Facility locations, physical geography, different management, or even different skill sets. So the team that started the new service continues to operate it and becomes part uh, part of the infrastructure. That's when silos begin. Time continues, and more products launch, and there are more silos. Throw in a few more services, an acquisition or two, and you've got a whole bunch of silos that exist. And then, the result is organizations find that they have numerous groups performing similar, if not the exact same tasks sometimes. And the silos, at some point, need to be rationalized. Technology can transform, and the workflows uh, uh, and the teams that support them need to transform as well. However, from the onset, we've come to know that the migration wouldn't be just a technological shift. It's a fairly straightforward task is rolling out uh, technology, but we have spent similar efforts on an organizational shift, a cultural transformation to adapt to the new uh, technologies. The ability and the willingness to change can be even more daunting and more important than the technology itself. Uh, If all you do is digitize your current business into the cloud, nothing will really change. So in places, this requires tearing things back to the studs. We've rethought global media strategies, metadata strategies. The data model needs to be unified across all businesses so that any business can can connect to the content lake and consume universal assets. Eliminate the silos. Our goal is to become geographically agnostic. Independent of facilities and locations, this has been a key part of our thought process for migrating to the cloud. We're streamlining our content workflows. Our integrated media supply chain is working on eliminating duplication, developing common workflows, and uh, automating wherever the opportunity arises. Change management is critical. Managing people and expectations is tough, and it takes longer than simply rolling out technology. We're learning how to uh, things about our company that uh, can benefit from doing things differently. We're learning that reinventing is not a lift and shift. We've chosen to partner with organizations that have done this before, and that's very important. Companies like AWS that have done it before uh, are providing us key learnings uh, in how to accelerate the process. We've also been partnering partnering internally with uh, departments like HR and finance. These groups also need to understand what we're doing differently, how we're doing it, and how the cost and the management of of P&Ls will will, uh, grow and be different uh, in the future. And we've done it or doing it while trying to live on the first floor of the building while we take it back to the studs. We're looking to remove limitations that come with geography and physical attributes. We're creating a universal elemental package uh, that will capture everything and whether or not that's uh, scripts, assets, audio, foreign language, closed caption, all of it to be stored in one location for the first time. The goal is to provide the ability for any business to consume and deliver content swiftly and efficiently. We're trying to drive to have these solutions perform the non-value-add tasks, and then we can redirect our staff to more value-added, increasing their intellectual capital and benefiting the company. Staff will become more relevant and increase their overall uh, value to the company. So, we've had to rethink our global metadata strategy and how uh, the workflows interact with various uh, uh, components of data. We, like many others, have multiple business systems with multiple pieces of metadata for incoming assets. As we grow, the ad hoc, as we grew, the ad hoc solutions grew with us. Um, as a result, it sometimes looked like this, and that's what we're working to. Uh, to manage through, unwind, and grow for the future. We're creating a a logical data system that makes sense out of the communications. A key step forward is the introduction of an integrated data structure, one that spans the existing scope of operations. We're also eliminating uh, components. You can see emails and Excel and and, um, shared folders that don't lend themselves to APIs and easy communication. RESTful APIs will be uh, driving our flexible approach in the future and will reduce our need for heavy integrations. And with that, we look to uh, the next several months of growth and uh, improvement. Thank 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 you. Thank you very much.
3: So in case you missed it before, I'm Josh Derby from Discovery, I uh, head of Discovery's internal technology R&D team, and also uh, do a lot of work in our uh, newfound cloud supply chain that we've been building over the past few years. And I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, we have a very, uh, you know, you- you'll sense between uh, Glenn and I that we have a common set of challenges as large media organizations, um, and we-, we solve them in different ways, but we have a co- core set of problems. Um, first off, Discovery, like CBS, is a, a big place, a, a uh, company that has a huge global spread. Uh, we're in over 220 countries and, and across 50 languages, and we do over 8,000 hours of original content every year and across a huge number of brands. And getting all the stuff to where it's supposed to go in the time it needs to be there is uh, quite a challenge, but it's something that we've uh, worked over the past few years to refactor and into building a cloud-based uh, supply chain. Really, when you look at large media organizations, our supply chains have really five fundamental features. They have, uh, first, the uh, content ingest analysis and acceptance, where we get content in from our suppliers, our production companies, our own internal production teams. And then we have the media factory, where we turn that content into whatever format it needs to be put into wherever it needs to go as part of our kind of internal mezzanine manufacturing. Then you have creative manipulation and uh, editing, and if you're doing international, that includes language customization and regionalization as well. And finally, you have the last two, which really in practical reality probably should be one, um, but that's linear playout and distribution and then nonlinear playout and distribution. So I want to dive in on each of those for a moment and talk about what Discovery has been doing over the past few years and kind of a state of our unit about where we are in transforming our supply chain as we follow the, the huge amount of change that's uh, hitting our industry right now. So I'll start with the, the beginning of the supply chain, where the content comes to us from our suppliers. Uh, we, this is a part where we've pretty much completed it. We've got about 90% of our total inbound content now coming in through our, uh, our cloud-based producers portal. Uh, we've taken in over 135,000 assets through that portal, uh, really, in just the past two years. And we've got almost 900 suppliers who use that portal. A couple things we've added as we've gone along uh, are what we people call QC, or we call TE, uh, the part where you're deciding whether you're accepting the asset that's come in from your supplier. we've now uh, made that fully cloud-based where we're actually having the QC techs work from a cloud-based proxy and they're pulling in metadata that's coming straight out of the supply chain and the decisions they make and the annotations they make get fed right back into the supply chain and drive downstream workflow. Uh, we've also uh, recently integrated machine learning into part of the kind of inbound asset process where we're taking, the information we get from uh, label models and content moderation models and transcription and making that available to other parts of the supply chain. We wanna keep building on that as we move forward over the next couple years. I think uh, what uh, we as an industry are able to do with uh, machine learning about video is going to drive a lot of how successful we are as we uh, seek to engage our customers however they want to engage with our content. So moving forward uh, is the factory. Uh, And in a big global media business like Discovery, it's a very complex factory as you're distributing across all those different countries and and regions. Uh, We have now cloudified a significant portion of the factory where we're running it driven by workflow automation uh, to automatically create the different products that we need to move things around the world. Uh, We use SDBI Rally as our cloud-based workflow orchestration platform and last month, we ran over a million automated workflow steps through that platform where the, uh, the, the workflow itself is making decisions about what I need to do with this asset to get it where it needs to go. Uh, you know, I know that this asset needs to be in London by Tuesday, and therefore I need to convert it from 1080p 8 to 1080i50. You know, those type of thing decisions are happening automatically every moment in our supply chain. We've also... Uh, taking advantage of the the scalability of the cloud uh, in some of our recent business dealings. uh, Those of you probably know that Discovery bought Scripps Network back earlier this year, and uh, we had to essentially absorb the workflow of Scripps Network and a lot of their back catalog content through our uh, supply chain. And uh, we we were able to scale the factory up, uh, you know, not painlessly, but pretty painlessly, considering how much we had to scale it up uh, in order to move all that content through the supply chain. So the next uh, phase in the supply chain is content customization and editing, and this is an area where we're kind of just beginning our journey. Uh, we have a project that we call Edit 2.0, where we're focused on making some of the types of edits that we do uh, done with proxy editing using uh, some of our cloud-based tool. Uh, and We're also using this as an opportunity to really integrate our time-based metadata that we get from machine learning, that we get from uh, observations in the supply chain, integrating that into the editing process so that it can be used to steer creative decisions. And I I think, you know, this is something we're going to be working on in 2019 and I'm excited to see what we come out of 2019 with and and the way editing is different is from how it is now. Uh, Finally, we end up with the distribution sides. Uh, Discovery was an early mover in uh, moving origination, you know, play out to the cloud. We now have over 300 networks playing out of uh, virtualized systems in AWS, and we're adding more on the way soon, um, including more of our international networks and also the the scripts networks as we're transitioning uh, their play out to the cloud-based platform. So this has been a a success story for us. And finally... Nonlinear distribution. Uh, this is another thing that we have started attacking this year, and we'll be attacking more in 2019. Uh, the uh, the project that we had for bringing all the content from our suppliers into the cloud was on ramp, and consequently, due to a lack of original naming ideas, this is project off ramp, where we're taking it out to the uh, uh, to the distribution points. Um, we we're leveraging some great technology that we picked up uh, with scripts and you know building that uh, planning and scheduling system they had and making it be cloud scalable and global so that we can have one common platform for doing uh, nonlinear distribution uh, throughout the world and be able to better integrate that and make it more automated in the supply chain. So that's what I have, and Carla, back to you.
1: Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. good job. Hossi. So two very large companies, well-known brands, lots and lots of years in the, in the business, um, feeling the transformation or the changes that we talked about earlier, and you're coming from two very different places in your journey. So Josh, I think you mentioned um, the need to merge broadcast and direct-to-consumer supply chain workflows. What does that look like?
3: Uh, I think that is certainly something we're aspiring to uh, in a lot of organizations and discovery is not different, uh, kind of, there was the linear folk and then the nonlinear folk and ne'er the twain shall meet. Uh, whereas we're trying to come at it from a point, uh, point of view where, uh, you know, we make content and content goes everywhere. So we're trying to build a supply chain that's largely agnostic to whether, You know, this is airing on a linear network Tuesday night at 9 or whether it needs to go to 50 different, uh, you know, over-the-top or download-to-own surfaces. Uh, Basically, so that, you know, we just think of those things as, you know, output products in the supply chain as not not as distinct workflows in and of themselves, which is the way we've looked at it historically.
1: Historically. Yeah, and I think the way the industry grew up, which is why we have a lot of niche, awesome point (laughs) solutions across the supply chain, um, so Glenn, you're embarking on this journey now. Mm-hmm. You've been there before, but you're embarking on it. So what is the groundwork of the foundation? What are the kinds of things that you have to really make sure are in place so that you can do this right and fast?
2: Well, I have gone through it once before, worked with uh, Josh on, uh, at the early stages of what they had done. I think the, uh, we're doing it a little differently. We are not, uh, we're global in different ways uh, from how discovery is. Uh, but we've embarked on uh, probably a, a very broad educational approach uh, to the staff. We, are, we, are, uh, we have operations in New York, uh, broadcast operations and uh, uh, uplink and distribution in New York, plus Los Angeles. We have several video on demand groups, uh, syndication groups in LA and New York as well, and trying to rationalize those groups has required a much uh, broader, I think, educational uh, approach to begin to get a lot of people going in the same direction.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, it seems, well, every industry almost out there is going through transformation, and it feels like the technology is no longer the issue. You know, we used to hear with AWS, it was a lot about security and you know latency, then um, the CIA chose AWS for their cloud, IBM contested it. We wouldn't have been able to talk about it otherwise, by the way. Um, It went public and then they settled on AWS. And so the security thing kind of went away. And I think that's true for the media and entertainment space now as well. I think latency has probably gone away. We still worry about it and we wanna make sure we're building things and creating the right innovations to help solve that. But this really isn't a technology problem. This is really, uh, well, it is also a technology problem, but we can't underestimate that this is about transformation and driving change, and that means everyone in this room has to get on, on that bus. There's a, the CIO at uh, Capital One, Rob Alexander, told their organization that they were gonna get out of their data centers and move all of their, everything into the cloud. This was four years ago or so. And he said, we're gonna move 80% of it into the cloud. And it turned out, that every single business unit, couple hundred, thought they were one of the 20% that didn't have to move. So you really have to put a stake in the ground, and it was a great learning for us and for him. You know, you can't just, you're not one of the 20%. So this is these are questions to both of you. Um, how are you driving this change in adoption with, within your organization? And I'm gonna start with you, Josh, because you've been through a little bit of this already.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're right, it's, it's a problem that has you know, it has technical challenges, but uh, they have to be thought of also as part of the organizational challenges. One of the the great things that Discovery did early on, when we had the initial teams that were designing and building the solutions, uh, we had process management folks embedded right in the team. So as we were talking about what we were architecturing, uh, you know, architecting te- uh, technically, we could also have. And understanding the process implications, and try and get out there ahead of them with the operational teams that were going to be the end users of, of the systems. That's
1: really interesting. So you had the people who understand business process reengineering mm-hmm. as part of the teams to think about from A to B.
3: Yeah, we uh, a lot of our early design teams were very much cross-functional teams. They had a combination of engineering. And operations and uh, process and project management all working together to build a system, because it wasn't just, as you said, the technological change. It was very much about the the people change that was going to come with it. Yeah. And when you start throwing out you know words that are scary to operational people like supply chain automation, <laughs> you know it turns what they you know care very deeply about into. Uh, you know, it's always the I am being replaced by a robot. Well, and you have to, and you know, you as the technology person, like, well, the robots are going to be there. But and uh, and then the uh, the process person is like, what he means to say is yeah, exactly uh, translates yes. it into
1: pro, uh, change speak. Yes, that's good. So, Glenn, you <clears throat> mentioned that um, you've had to involve finance and HR, which. It was kind of like, duh, when you said it to me, but I wouldn't have thought of doing that. Um, so wh- how are you driving this change? What are the other kinds of things that you're doing?
2: Well, we're, we're in many ways mandated to do it because our existing existing operations going end of life. The hardware is driving change and we would be changing no matter what. Um, so it's a matter of do we do this or are we going to the cloud? And we've made the decision to go. Um, you know, the, the, the phrase that always echoes in my mind is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, do it with a team. And We've tried to build that team, and it has, it has kept us um, on a pace, not perhaps as fast as we could have done um, with a much smaller group, but we're bringing people along and trying to incorporate them. One of the differences, and it was a, an interesting slide on, on the sequencing, that Josh had put up, is we've done it in a slightly different sequence. Of course, we're starting with the front end and the ingest, uh, but we are uh, very much a live network. We have live sports, live news, cut-ins all the time. And when you talk about latency, that's what we um, need to see better in the industry, is is how to do uh, live uh, from the cloud. Yeah. And and that's that's a real issue for us, and so we're we're kind of putting that towards the end,
1: mm-hmm.
2: hoping that uh, you and the people in this room will figure out a solution. Um, so we're, 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 we're going first with ingest, we're going first with uh, creating the, the gateway portal and uh, switching broadcast uh, and uh, syndication and on-demand so we can get that going and that will help drive further education, further knowledge and awareness of what we're doing without disrupting the, the, the broadcast and the live aspects that we deal with every day.
1: Yeah, well, people get fired when that screen goes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know what that's like. Um, okay, so, so Josh, what would you advise other decision makers? So Glenn talked about the things from his past. He's doing differently here and why, largely because, you know, influenced by live and wait until we get the, all of those issues addressed. From your experience, what information or... Learnings, best practices. Would you
3: share? I, I think there are a couple things that you know we've learned along the way. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'll echo a little bit on some of the things Glenn said about teams. Uh, we struggled to find the, the balance with team size for designing these new solutions. Um, you know, our, our CTO at the time had a uh, two pizza rule that if you had an agile working team that it took more than two pizzas to feed, that it was too big.
1: That sounds like some <clears throat> company, company I know. <laughs>
3: yes, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, you ended up with people who felt that they were kind of disenfranchised from the change. They, you know they were they were being left to you know run the wheels off of the legacy uh, you know infrastructure and turn the lights out behind them when they left. And, and that was not the feeling that we were trying to, to leave people with. And so it, it took a little bit of trial and error to get the level of involvement from the entire staff, even when there were these kind of, you know uh, small agile teams working on building a lot of the uh, the change. I also think that one of the things that we've really benefited from is trying to um, make sure all of our human decisions in the uh, supply chain are effective human decisions and that we're really putting uh, our, our people resources in, in the place where they're adding the most value and not just you know choosing one of 400 workflows out of a MAM. We, as we built the supply chain, we're really focused on automation and anything that we could automate we did automate uh... because as you mentioned earlier you know the 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 television industry has changed rather dramatically you know we went from an industry ten years ago that had pretty much one product to having a uh, you know cheesecake factory menu coming out of the supply chain today so but we're largely doing it with the same people so we need to uh... you know increase automation in the supply chain and at the same time you know make sure that the, the people who are there are making decisions
2: that only they can make.
1: Yeah. So Glenn anything to add to that in terms of what advice you would give?
2: I, I try and get as many people involved as you can, you know, going back to your com- comment about uh, HR and finance. It is a critical part of, you know, telling them and educating the company. Uh, about what you're doing, we are we are a piece of the company. There are other parts that are uh, that are um, further advanced than us in some of these processes, but we're we're have the advantage of playing catch up very quickly with the likes of yourself and and others that have done this before. So a lot of the products are more mature. We're going to make very rapid progress, and so we're trying to bring along finance and HR to say you know th- this will require different skill sets as we you know migrate out of one technology into, into others. Um, there will be different ways that finance will have to deal with it. As we, um, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of done some tutorials on moving from a CapEx model to an OpEx model, mm-hmm. and how that your investment um, is offset, you know, you've got services and microservices, your OpEx will go up, your CapEx and depreciation will go down, and we kind of look at it as an oscillating uh, downward trend. And being able to bring finance along and HR to say, you have p- places in making this work for us. Uh, because again, it's not, not just a technology, it's, it's being able to get new skills and um, Operate differently from a financial structure point of view.
1: You know, it's interesting. This um, idea of capex to opex is is a big deal in the media and entertainment space, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially for you know, think of the cable worlders used to operating really big networks um, and infrastructure. So it's you know, it's more of an issue in the finance world than you might even think, like ripping out Oracle or SAP financials and putting a new one in. This is like a very very different world. Um, I remember being on stage in New York in, I think it was 2004, with Chris Rennie, who was a CTO of AT&T, and Barb Jaffe, who was a senior vice president at HBO, and uh, we were launching the AT&T's 4G phone, where we were streaming um, content from HBO and Weather Channel, and I think we had the PGA at the time, and, you know, it was like jerky and you can imagine, right? And it was in New York. Um, and then yesterday, or actually this morning, sorry, I watched the first 30 minutes of Andy's keynote on my cell phone in line getting tea. I just think it's extraordinary. So we've seen a lot of change. It happened pretty quickly. The habituation of consumers to devices that aren't their you know, lean back TV or even lean forward computer screen dramatically have changed the landscape. So. I'm gonna start with you. What do you predict for the next four or five years? What do you think the world looks like?
2: Oh, I have a hard time predicting six months from now. <laughs> you know, it, I, I often look through it uh, uh, through the eyes of my kids and what they do and what mm-hmm. they use. And, and uh, my son, who graduated from college uh, about four years ago, was a broadcast journalism major. And while he was there, he kept saying, "Dad, you're a dinosaur. You're dead." Yeah, you know, this is when I was. <laughs> at the company before CBS, and I pleaded with them repeatedly to let me live until I finished paying your tuition. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it, it, the change is so rapid, and the habituation, as you said, it just seems to be accelerating. And, uh, you know, it, it's us, enabling us to do things that we haven't done before. And the, I think the, the thing that has me most, um, Looking forward to the future, the, the immediate future uh, at CBS is the virtuous cycle. You know how what we do today will reinforce what we need to do tomorrow, and create uh, you know a virtuous cycle both within our group and within the entire organization. So we're we're, we're at the beginning parts of that journey, but it's it's the creating that virtuous cycle for ourselves, for the network, and the company.
1: I mean that's that's, that's innovation. Once you get these cultural changes in place and people understand, and they have a platform on which they can iterate quickly and start embracing failure, because the more experiments you do, the more you're going to fail. And, you know, Basil likes to say, if you want the price of innovation to be low, make failure not very expensive. In other words, tolerate people failing. Um, and if, by the way, what our kids do is any sign of the future, everyone in the audience will be playing Fortnite for... A really long time, just like forever. Um, so, Josh, put your crystal ball out there. Have a look into the future.
3: Ooh. I mean, I, I'm both excited and terrified about discovering what people's media consumption patterns are going to look <laughs> like, uh, you know, five years from now. I, I, I had an, uh, you know, similar to Glenn. My kids are a little younger than than Glenn's, but you know, I had an aha moment, you know, a few years back when. You know, my my daughter had been raised in a world where you know everything was on demand, and we had a DVR. And she had her first overnight at my wife's parents' house, and I'm you like, know, "How'd it go?" She's like, "Oh, it was good. TV was broken." I'm like, "Oh, I was thinking I'm gonna have to go over there and fix that TV." You know, uh, and I'm like, "How is it broken?" She's like, "I told Grandma I wanted to watch My Little Pony, and she said it wasn't on." You know, like <laughs> uh, uh, I realized at that point that we'd created a monster. You know, and and, and so I'm. Uh, I'm interested to see how as her generation, you know, becomes the the consumer that advertisers are really going after, how media consumption patterns are going to continue to shift. And I think, you know, at Discovery, we are finding a good balance between, you know, monetizing linear television but also, uh, you know, as our CEO says, you know, being the place that uh, are, be, are making the content that people want to watch when they can watch anything. You know, and, Pretty cool. and and that's the challenge that we uh, we as media organizations you know need to find, and we need to all find our, our our niche to survive in that world.
1: Yeah, my only fear is that I never leave the house. <laughs> I just see, I love TV, live, on demand, all of it. so um, I'm hoping that some of the innovations that Amazon announced this week help your teams with those transformations and make them inspired to uh, get closer in a sort of personalization outcome way to what those habits start looking like and maybe through machine learning, we start seeing patterns and uh, have a way to be a little more predictive and prescriptive. Um, I think that's a holy grail for everyone. So uh, I thank both of you for sharing that. What I'd like to do is open it up to questions from the audience. Here's one right up front.
2: How can advertisers in this new age of distribution participate in your inventory? What's it, what, an advertiser's point of view that's driving the revenue? It looked like a cost savings that you presented, but it didn't look or speak to the revenue driving change that an advertiser can really get access to your programs in different ways. Uh, I'll start that. You know, there is some basic cost savings that's fundamental, but I think m- more to the savings portion, it's being able to accelerate how you get content to whatever the platform is. And you know, whether it's, it's online or selling a show internationally, um, the quicker we can monetize that in whatever venue it is, whether it's a linear broadcast and we're selling 30 or 60 second spots to sponsored ads on, ads on our, our website, our goal in terms of what we have to do is get it there as quickly and as cost effectively as possible. And we'll let the platforms, whatever they may be in the future, deal with how to monetize that. We, we've got advertising. We've got uh, you know, other, other ways of dealing it on the web. We've got all access, which is um, premium subscription you know, and showtime. So you know, it's whatever the business model is, we want to be there and driving the content there as quickly as possible. I'll tag on to that a moment. I
3: I think one of the things I probably didn't pay it enough justice when I was talking about our uh, journey earlier, but we have, as part of our cloud-based supply chain, we have kind of a relentless focus on metadata. Um, And I I think that that is a way where we're going to be able to add a lot of value for advertisers. You know, traditionally, it's like, I want to advertise on this series of this show. But now, you know, with labels for machine learning and the labels that we add in as humans, like, no, I want to find people who are really into sheet pan baking. You know, you you can have an ability to find content across series and genres even that that appeals to a certain set of people in a way that we've never been able to before because of the amount of metadata we're unlocking in the supply chain.
1: Yeah, and I also think that the real-time, you know, (laughs) real-time ad insertion, all sorts of capabilities Mm -hmm. that present themselves Um, And that is the fundamental model that's been driving this industry for a long time. It's a good question. Thank you for asking that.
0: Uh, Alan is from uh, UITV. Uh, Glenn, I think in your presentation, if I read it right, uh, one of the things that you talked about was automation and the elimination of duplication. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious to know what you guys are doing at the end at, when it comes to the app itself. You've got an Apple TV app, you've got a Fire TV app, Roku and so on. Are you looking to streamline that part of it or uh, is that sort of the next step that you're looking at?
2: I think, you know, what, what I articulated in the presentation is, is for whatever reason, and it could be geography, it could be you know where the content was edited even, and customers would then spring off of those sources of content so you know we've got sources of content that are created and distributed in Los Angeles to a certain clientele in New York on a floor to a different clientele on a different floor to a different and then we've got you know, different businesses that are using similar content that distribute it that that it springs out of where the contents originated, um, and if we can collapse the front end um, in terms of creating an asset rather than multiple similar assets, th- we can we can we can make sure that we distribute to cable and VOD and and over the top and and international in a much more in a much more efficient way. So it's it's not. I think it starts at the beginning and how you how you fundamentally alter the uh, content creation process. I'm not talking about the show itself. I'm talking about once you get that delivery, what do you do with it? Who's doing it, and how does it how does it become a master or you know, and migrating out of multiple masters? Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, Janet. So, how do
1: you see the announcement uh, of today with the hybrid on-prem, off-prem models changing the way that you're thinking about your infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, and um, on-prem? So, I don't know if you saw, Josh, you look puzzled. You, I don't know if you oh, saw. Oh, no, I saw it. the announcement. Okay. I was, just, I,
3: was, I was waiting for the Janet Stumper, and here it is. Oh, so. no,
1: I, I'm <laughs> curious. I, don't, yeah. I didn't know about it either. So. Yeah.
3: Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'll start with that. Uh, for us, I, mean, uh, I, I think that is going to be a, a vehicle for bringing people in. Uh, at Discovery, w- we quickly found out that it does not pay to dip one's toes into the cloud. You don't get a lot of uh, scale and efficiency out of, like, piddling around with it. So we kind of went in with both feet, whether that was good or bad. I think the fact that we're all still here means it was good. but. Uh, Uh, You know, so I don't think it's quite as meaningful for us, but I think it will help a lot of people, you know, meet them where they need to be as
2: they're transforming their processes. I too would like to thank you for uh, asking a question about something that came out three hours ago. So thank you. Uh, (laughs) Should I describe it? uh, No, no, no. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think in many ways it will help our uh, transition because of the live aspect that we talked about. It will pro- provide us a, a much more economical vehicle to deal with live and sports and news in ways that, that uh, we kind of have to create on our own now. So I think, I think it'll be a great stepping stone, a great stepping stone, really.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, um, you know, as an, as an Amazon person, Uh, I don't know about all of you, but I'm very proud of VMware's embracing of hybrid and and Amazon Web Services. I think that this solution today and having both options for it uh, must be a relief for so many companies who have quite a decent, healthy appetite to move, but have these real... Issues like latency, for example, or location, or whatever. Um, so, I'm thank you for asking that question because it was my favorite announcement today, other than Deep Racer, which I'm going to win next year. So, you better all get practicing now.
0: Last question
2: Hi, I'm Pete I work for ProQuest. This is a company we distribute content that you provide. Uh, we're in the nonlinear space here. So, my question is uh, whether you're anticipating new content types in these pipelines that you're building. I think things like 360 video, interactive content, you know, accessible content, things like that, are they all part of what you're trying to do now? Does that, is your silence mean I get to answer that one? Josh you launched the first uh, 3D channel, so. Yeah, uh, and
3: I, I would. I, I, as a person who participated in Discovery R&D, I, I, I ran a number of ill-fated uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, media technology Technologically innovations. Technologically successful. Yes. Technologically successful, commercially dubious, uh, you know, uh, it thing. I, I mean, I, I, we need to meet consumers in the way that they want to experience the content. I think some of the things that we've had, somebody invents a way that is novel to experience content, and it's not a way that consumers really wanted to experience content. I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into 3D television, and those are years of my life I'm not getting back. But, uh, you know, I I think as content creators, we're always out there trying to find, um, you know, what's going to be engaging. And while it gives me the heebie-jeebies every time somebody says, hey, I need a spec for vertical video, I I understand that, that that is a way that people want to engage with the content, and we need to put some consideration into that. So I think... You know, the best thing we can all do in media is keep an open mind and look to people where, where they are.
2: And to add to that, it's our job to deal with that. So we will, um, you know, we can't say, oh, I don't want to deal with 4K. I don't want to deal with uh, 360 video. We'll deal with it. We always have. We've, and we've made the transitions from this technology to that. And we will again in the future. It's just, it's what we do and we will do it.
1: So Josh and Glenn, thank you very much for being up here with me for this conversation. And to those of you in the audience, um, boy, I am, if, if you are what you consume, I am content, I am like the ultimate, I want whatever great user experience you're gonna give me. So if there's anything we can do at AWS to help make this faster, better, cheaper for you, you know, it's ajassy at amazon.com just thought you'd like to know that. Uh, It's actually AWS, but you'll probably get there. Anyway, thank you very much for uh, being with us this afternoon. Please enjoy the rest of reInvent. Make sure you get to attend the party Thursday night, leave early, it's pretty far off site. We have buses to take you. um, So do plan for that. And again, thanks for being here. Thank you.